Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast in the Western Front Association, with me, Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the First World War and have over 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 14th of October 2019 and this is episode 132. On this week's podcast, Dr Richard Batten, Honorary Research Fellow at the University of Exeter, talks about a collection of papers he compiled on the wartime experience of Hugh Fortescue, the fourth Earl Fortescue, who was Lord Lieutenant for Devon during the Great War. This volume is part of a series by Devon and Cornwall Record Society and is published by Bordell Press. I spoke to Richard from his home in Dorset. Richard, welcome to the Dispatches podcast. We're going to talk about the collection of papers you edited relating to the life and times of Hugh Fortescue, the fourth Earl Fortescue, who was Lord Lieutenant for Devon during the Great War. Before we start, can you tell us about yourself and how you became interested in the Great War? Um, Tom, thank you for inviting me on the podcast, and I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about the fourth Earl and his experiences during the Great War. Um, Myself, I was interested in the First World War since primary school. My mum purchased a uh, book which which really uh, um, inspired my interest in the war from an early age, which was part of the I Was There series, which had a wonderful combination of of text and imagery, photographic imagery, where basically it's um, uh, actors reenacting scenes from the home front and also from uh, the Western Front and so forth. And it really inspired my interest uh, very much from an early age. Um, I myself, I come from a farming background in the West village, West Dorset village of Charmouth. And one of the things I do remember is my father, who was a dairy farmer. He talked to farmers from the Marshwood Vale in that sense, surrounding area during the 1960s. And he told me the stories about how the British Army had paid for hay in the harvest in 1918, but had not actually collected it due to a miscommunication. And so as I went on to study history at university, um, for my MA, I looked at uh, wind scale and farmers who were affected by the wind scale of the nuclear fire of 1957. But for my PhD, I wanted to go back and revisit the First World War. And so I decided to look at the home front on a local level. Originally, for my thesis, I wanted to look at the West Country, so looking at Devon, Cornwall, Dorset, Somerset, and take that into all account. But having a look at the repositories for uh, the different record offices across the Southwest, there was just so much material. Like there's some fantastic information and records in the Somerset Record Office about weave, uh, baskets that were weaved out of um, wicker baskets for pigeons. But I decided to focus my attention on Devon during the Great War, and the Fourfell Fortescue was one of the key figures of my research. And in particular, he kept a significant archive of materials related to his wartime experiences. And this resulted in such a vast archive. When I put forward this proposal to include as an edited volume with these primary sources, it's it's my hope that, that scholars and general readers and students will find the primary sources presented in this book from uh, the Fortescue at Castle Hill Archive helpful in their studies as they have been for me in my own research. And that leads us on to my second question about the collection of records that you edited. What exactly do they cover? Um, this collection of records includes uh, Fortescue's memoirs for the war years, his diaries during the war and a selection from his private papers. Uh, the memoirs are his original recollection of his wartime experience and his work as Lord Lieutenant of Devon. 
And in the book, I explain the differences between what he edited, because with it being a typescript of these memoirs, he actually adds little notes and additions and corrections onto the typewritten document. And it covers really his experiences of the war, um, how he, he uh, tried to be able to uh, navigate uh, through different uh, complex fields. At the same time, he talks about the protection of vulnerable points in the county recruitment, the care for Belgian refugees, uh, the British Red Cross in the county, and also about food production and what what is described as the Devon War Agricultural um, Executive Committee. The book also contains his diaries for the war years, and they're a, a particularly rich document because they reveal his day-to-day -day activities as a Lord Lieutenant, a peer of the realm, and a member of the landed gentry during the Great War. And in particular, they provide an insider's viewpoint upon important events and reveal his participation, along with Lady Fortescue, in prominent social circles. In the last section of the book, there is a selection of, from his private papers. So there's different documents I've got related to uh, recruitment, uh, food production and charities. And so they, these are letters, booklets that he has kept. And I hope that they act as a representative sample of the Fortescue of Castle Hill archive and how vast it is. In that sense, it, he, it, these documents reveal that he was a very prodigious figure in the county. And the documents, along with um, the memoirs and the diaries, contain many fascinating observations into, into the county and the home front during the war years. Right, which leads, us, leads me into my third question. Who was Hugh Fortescue, who became the fourth Earl? Can you tell us about his background, early life and character? Hugh Fortescue was the eldest son of the third Earl Fortescue and Lady Fortescue. Um, the Fortescues were lauded as a highly distinguished Devonshire family. They were well-established landowners and members of the British aristocracy. After his education at Harrow, Hugh Fortescue studied at Trinity College at the University of Cambridge, where he went to study for a BA, where he attained a first-class law degree. Um, like his father and his grandfather, uh, Hugh Fortescue pursued a career in politics. From 1881 to 1885, he was one of the two Liberal MPs for Tiverton, alongside Sir John Heathcote Amory, the first Baron Heathcote Amory. Hugh Fortescue was briefly the Liberal MP for Tavistock, until he moved from the Liberals to the breakaway Liberal Liberal Unionist Party due to the fact that he opposed William Gladstone's proposals to introduce Home Rule for Ireland. Um, as a result, Hugh Fortescue was the Liberal Unionist MP for Tavistock from 1886 to 1892, where he, he retired from the House of Commons. He was a diligent member of Devon's landed gentry and held a number of civic appointments in the county. He was a Justice for the Peace of Devon and he was a chairman of the Devon Quarter Sessions. He was also very much involved with the Devon and Somerset Staghounds and he was a master of the Devon and Somerset Staghounds from 1881 to 1887. However, on the death of his father in 1905, Hugh Fortescue, uh, who, was, who was known previously as Vice Count Ebrington, became the fourth Earl Fortescue and inherited his father's peerage in the House of Lords. Um, local historian David Parker has described the fourth Earl Fortescue as a typical late Victorian paternal aristocrat, in that the fourth Earl epitomised the traditional role of wealthy estate owners as social leaders patrons of morally sound institutions, leading supporters of charities and local guardians of law and order. During his career, uh, Hugh Fortescue was appointed the Lord Lieutenant for Devon. Now, how 
what was that role and how did one become a Lord Lieutenant? Basically, the Lord Lieutenant was to act as the representative of the monarch in each county across the United Kingdom. That was their role. And in the case of Earl Fortescue, he was Lord Lieutenant of Devon uh, from 1904 to 1928. Fortescue was the representative of King Edward VII and King, later King George V in the county. The post of Lord Lieutenant was chosen by the monarch and was appointed to a male figure from well-established county families and aristocratic and landowners. In the case of Hugh Fortescue, uh, Fortescue was appointed the office of Lord Lieutenant of Devonshire from on the 28th of March 1904, when uh, Charles Hepburn Stuart Forbes Trefusis, the 20th Baron Clinton, uh, retired from the Lord Lieutenancy due to declining health. Um, in particular, for the fourth Earl, the appointment of Lord Le Lieutenant was a great honour because uh, his previous ancestors had been uh, Lord Lieutenant of Devon previously. It was a historic post, which its origins lay in preceding systems of local government and military control. Um, through the reforms with the Territorial and Reserve Forces Bill of 1907, introduced by Richard Haldane, which established a territorial force in specific counties as a volunteer reserve military unit. Um, after the bill received royal assent, uh, the Lord Lieutenant was conferred with the chairmanship of county associations of the territorial force in each respective county. By the early 20th century, Britain, um, the figure of Lord Lieutenant was still a key figure on a local level, as the Lord Lieutenant was a one of the key members of the local elite, as they exerted a significant uh, social political influence in local civil society in counties across the United Kingdom. And this was also the case with Hugh Fortescue. So, Richard, tell us what Devon was like in 1914. Sure. Uh, Devon in 1914 is a mostly rural county, um, it, but it does have two major urban population centres with Exeter and Plymouth. But the county's population had, a, as a whole, it had about 440,000 people. In particular, there is uh, communica communication by rail between North and South Devon was slow and inconvenient. But at the same time, you have the direct rail links from London to Exeter and then Exeter down to Plymouth. So there is that connection of that railway line. But it is a mostly rural county uh, connected by small time rail networks and at the same time by some some road networks as well. But it is in many respects a county which is still primarily rural. And so when the war breaks out, you have uh, many people hearing the news from their local postman and through the newspapers rather than actually through uh, more direct communication. So what did um, Hugh do as a Lord Lieutenant during the war, he he did a great deal during the war. He was in he was a, a, a industrious figure. Um, he shouldered the three roles of Lord Lieutenant of Devonshire. He was Chairman of Devon County Council and Chairman of the County's Territorial Association. And according to the Times, he, that's when he had three three of those roles. He found the full scope of his powers. Um, as Lord Lieutenant, he was responsible for voluntary recruitment and the agricultural organisation in the county with his chairmanship of the Devon Parliamentary Recruiting Committee and the Devon War Agricultural Executive Committee, respectively. As Lord Lieutenant of Devon, Hugh Fortescue was the de facto uh, principal recruiting officer in Devon, and he was instrumental in the promotion of recruitment efforts across the county. Whilst early recruitment had been brisk in Devon, as it had been elsewhere, Fortescue had to had uh, to reveal that actually recruitment efforts had dropped off and were, in many respects, decidedly mixed in the county. 
Um, in rural areas of the county, recruitment efforts had encountered hesitation and indifference from the county's farmers. Uh, some farmers had argued that their patriotic duty was not to enlist, but rather produce food for the nation in its time of need. In the speech, which I include in the book, Fortescue reveals in Tiverton that he was frustrated with these excuses from farmers against military service and in, contended that the farmers were more concerned about their own businesses than the war effort. Like the Lord Lieutenant of Kent, Lord Harris, who struggled also to convey the importance of the war to the farmers of Kent, Fortescue also stressed that the consequences would be dire if Devon's agriculturists did not undertake their duty to take up military service. However, with taking on all these different roles, including helping with the Belgian refugees and trying to be able to solve uh, other problems related to the British Red Cross over competing senses of authority with different individuals, it was a very strenuous time for just one man's shoulders and hardworking sensibilities. For Earl Fortescue, the Great War was a trying period to which not only recruiting an agricultural organisation of Devon occupied much of his attention. It proved, and as the book reveals, in many instances, he has to, well, sorry, one instance, he has to actually rest because he's just that tired. And in 1916, on the advice of his doctor, with having the role of chairman of Devon County Council, Lord Lieutenant, as well as the Territorial Force Association, he retires from Devon County Council as chairman in 1916, because on the advice of his doctor, that it was just too much for him to cope with. So he recommended to retire from one of the posts. And what sort of age was Fortescue at the beginning of the war? When war broke out, he was a little over 60, but pretty tough and active. And what do you think motivated him to um, perform all these civic duties? A sense of, of upholding the noble traditions of the Fortescue family. Um, in particular, his uh, great-grandfather had guided Devon as Lord Lieutenant through the Napoleonic War of 1793 to 1814. And so he, he felt that he was continuing a noble tradition. And as I argue in the book, he I think he thinks of what his his war service as Lord Lieutenant as the defining period in his life, because he, he is also a very keen historian. He actually writes a book called A Chronicle of Castle Hill, and it's uh, privately uh, printed in 19, uh, I believe, 1921. And he is talking about he writes about his notable forebears and history of the Castle Hill estate. And the chapter that should stand as his uh, biography is actually an amended version of what is contained in in, in my book. And it, I think it reveals how, how significant he fought of his war service and what he went through to be able to try and and cope with all the different aspects related to the Lord Lieutenancy. And he is he is motivated by that sense of, of duty and that hardworking work ethic. I, I must admit that, that I do sometimes wish I could aspire to such a such a work ethic. And what impact did this work ethic produce on the home front? Was he actually an, oh. uh, an important person for galvanising activity uh, for the war effort? Oh, absolutely. In, in that sense, he is uh, one of the most diligent and dedicated campaigners of the war effort across Devon. According to his son, Denzel Fortescue, Earl Fortescue was a diligent man who worked himself as hard as he could, still more so as Lord Lieutenant. And I think he summarised it very well in that sense, he's, uh, in the sense that what he reveals in the typescript is how 
he tries to be able to put that influence to bear on on a lot of conflict between conflicted parties and at the same time trying to be able to galvanize uh, recruitment efforts and trying to be able to organize uh, efforts across the county in particular with with the Devon War Agricultural Executive Committee he tries to be able to get these efforts uh, motivated he talks in uh, 1918 about organizing a in, as I contain in the book is that he's instrumental in the organization of these uh, tractor plowing uh, events where basically trying to be able to encourage people to use tractor plows. He he was a pivotal intermediary on for the war experience on a local level in Devon. But he, as I said, he's a moderator between these conflicted parties on the home front. Um, in on the 16th of January 1919, Roland Prothero, the president of the Board of Agriculture, wrote in a letter that we owe you a heavy debt for all the help you've given us in Devonshire. He he works unsparingly to try and make sure that all of the uh, wartime initiatives. Uh, work as well as they can. And in one of their obituaries to the Fourvel Fortescue, the Times suggested that it fell to him to guide Devon through the war of 1914 to 18, as his great grandfather had guided Devon through that of the of 1793 to 1814. And what do you think this collection of papers tells us about our wider understanding of the home front during the Great War? I hope this this collection of papers reveal that the Lord Lieutenant played a pivotal role in promoting the war effort on a local level during the Great War. Uh, through their leadership on a local level, the Lord Lieutenants could offer a positive example of leadership and as a positive role, role model for other figures in civil society and local populations to follow. He talks about, um, with, with the uh, recruitment side of things, he talks about his own sons going to volunteer. So you've got his son, um, who's also uh, called Hugh Fortescue, who later became the Fifel, who actually uh, was fighting with the Royal Scots Greys. And then his second son, Denzel, is in the North Devon uh, Yeomanry. And so they're both fighting and he's using that as a positive example to try and convey to the people in this speech in Tiverton that he is personally invested in the war because he is, and in the diaries, he, he does worry about his two sons and in the typescript he does say about, how he, he they offer a short prayer, hopefully that they will get back safe. And so he does... I think it's a very candid picture of not only his um, uh, civic duties, but at the same time himself as a person in the sense he's he's very conscious of the fact that he has got this personal investment as well. And he talks about how Lady Fortescue is involved. At the same time, I think the evidence from the Fortescue Castle Hill archive underscores that not all forms of wartime mobilisation were universally accepted on a local level across the county. And I think in terms of the wider understanding, it reveals the agency of local populations during the Great War, in that many Devonians placed individual priorities above national ones and saw what they perceived to be appropriate contributions. Like, for instance, Fortescue talks about the donation of um, uh, socks, for instance, people knitting socks to be able to provide for troops. And so, for instance, he talks about the Queen at the beginning of the war made an appeal to the women of England to knit socks and belts for the soldiers. He claims that this was a wise move, though many of the socks were so badly made that they were useless except to put over a breach action of the rifles to act as, as a mudguard. But he says it gave occupation to numberless restless women. 5,000 pairs of socks and 1,500 body belts were sent to Lady Fortescue in the first six weeks of the war. And finally, with Christmas coming up, where can people find out about this research and purchase this book and also find, about, find out more about what you've been up to? 
book is available in all good bookshops, online retailers, and it's available direct from uh, Boydell and Brewer as well. So if you want to be able to uh, purchase it, it's available on online retailers as well as direct from Boydell and Brewer. Uh, my own research is available to access on my academia, my academia.edu page, which is https uh, forward slash forward slash exeter.academia.edu forward slash Richard Batten. And also, if you'd like to be able to find out more about the Devon and Core Record Society, they publish widely on aspects of the history of, of the two counties of Devon and Cornwall. And a Lord Lieutenant in Wartime is the 61st volume of the DCRS's new series. And their website is www.devonandcornwallrecordsociety.co.uk. If anyone would like to be able to look at the materials of the Fortescue at Castle Hill Archive, it's housed in the Devon Heritage Centre based in Exeter. Richard, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, Tom. Thank you very much for this opportunity. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Russman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time. <laughs>